Live from New York City, it's the Gary Null Show. And now, your host, Gary Null. Hi, everyone. I'm Gary Null, broadcasting, but not video streaming today, from our studios in New York City. And I welcome you. Well, we have a lot to share today. The latest, of course, in-depth on health and healing. About nearly 2 billion people worldwide are now overweight. Why? And drinking too much coffee can spur drug-like hallucinations. Well, that tells us a lot about the people on Wall Street. And fish oil and blueberries aid memory. That's good. And uh, poverty during pregnancy causes high cortisol. That's a stress hormone, which is passed on to the fetus, and that's not good. But on the good side, breastfeeding linked to lower risk of sudden infant death syndrome and a lot more on health. From our public health segment today, the CDC, a truly corrupt and dangerous organization, according to Christina England, Fact Truth, and we'll show you what it's done in its nefarious history, some really bad things, and still doing it. Also, the Ebola outbreak. Now, when we've heard about Ebola, we've just been told that it's an out-of-control, hot-zone issue. Well, what they're not telling you is that it's also impacted by globalization, deforestation, explosive growth, bats. This terrible epidemic has many technicians. Andrea... Nika Fork will from a very important the uh, commentary on this, and then we're also going to hear from a TV commentary on wealth inequality. I thought uh, you would appreciate it, so I'm going to put that in there as well. And we have a lot more. Let's begin. First off, we know that we should be breastfeeding because you build natural immunity and you also have a greater bonding between the mother and the baby. And all those rhythms, those wonderful maternal rhythms between the baby and the, and the mother and is healing. This is one more reason to breastfeed. This is from Reuters Health. It says, babies who are breastfed, especially those fed only breast milk and not formula, as well, are less likely to die of sudden infant death syndrome, and that's a new study. This was done at the University of Virginia School of Medicine, so we know that we lose a lot of kids to sudden infant death. I believe that it's also called crib death, and I believe that vaccines are also a part of this, but to know that if you're breastfeeding, you lower that risk, I'm for that. I've been working on a major project uh, and a new documentary on what it means to be overweight from a different perspective. In fact, I filmed a lot of people going through a whole day just what adjustments and, and rationalizations and, and how they cope with being overweight. I'm seeing more of this now than ever before. There are some places where people are less likely to be overweight, like South Beach, in, in Miami and in, Los, in West Hollywood, but you start taking the entire state of Mississippi or Arkansas, South Carolina, Georgia, 
Louisiana, Alabama, most of Texas, and Kentucky. Then you go up to the central states like Indiana, Illinois, and then you go to uh, Wyoming and Utah. You have a lot of obesity, but it's also worldwide. According to the Vital Signs Online from the World Watch Institute, 1.9 billion people worldwide are overweight, and that's a huge increase. Why is it? Because when you're overweight, you increase your risk of a heart attack and stroke, of depression and breast cancer, and dementia. I believe in many cases it's because people worldwide are migrating, and when people migrate, they're migrating from a rural environment where they live closer to nature, they had more wholesome foods, less refined foods. For example, in Africa, there's been massive migration. Hundreds of millions of people have migrated to the larger urban environments for a lot of different reasons, not the least which is desertification, globalization, and deforestation and, uh, and civil war. Then when there, they're eating processed foods. But if you looked at what that person ate when they were in their own community, when there was abundant food, it was generally maize or millet, which is called the poor man's protein in, in uh, much of Africa. It's very tasty. Uh, in fact, you don't even have to cook it. You just put millet. It comes in little tiny yellow, uh, looks like little tiny yellow balls. And you pour hot water over it and just let it steep and in about 10 minutes it's perfect to eat and then you add some berries and some nut butters like always try to add some really healthy butters not dairy butters but things like sunflower seed sprout butter pumpkin seed sprout because when you sprout something you're enhancing its bioavailability its nutrients is antioxidants. You frequently can have upwards of 500% more vitamin C than when it's sprouted than when it's not. And also, it, uh, when you sprout grains, you don't have the gluten factor. So sprouted quinoa, sprouted uh, amaranth, sprouted spelt, all of those are very important. Anyhow, if you take um, raw almond butter, raw cashew butter, pistachio, macadamia, which is really good and good for you, Brazil nut, and sunflower. So you have about 15 different seeds and nuts that you can sprout or eat them raw as a nut butter. Easy on digestion, especially for people who might have some itises, but rich in essential fatty acids, including many of them have the omega-3 fatty acids. But anyhow, in those cultures around the world, they frequently have these nuts, and they make porridges out of them. They will frequently add the nuts into different mixes that give them complete, high-quality protein. And because they're not eating highly processed foods, they're not overweight. When, in fact, most people first visiting... When I first visited, for example, Jamaica, I thought the people were undernourished because everyone looks so thin. But then when I spend time with them in Montego Bay, in Kingston, in Port Antonio, in, o in the other communities, I found no. They're not skinny. They're eating a lot of food. 
but it's not high-calorie dense foods. They're eating lots of fresh-grown fruits and vegetables and tubers and pulses, and uh, they had a lot of fish. After all, they're the they're fishing around the island is common. They didn't eat a lot of meat, didn't have a lot of dairy, and had a lot of fiber. But also, I found they walked everywhere. And if you want to see how often people are walking just on a Sunday morning, see how many people actually walk to church. Very, very common. But then you start measuring blood pressure, normal, cholesterol, normal, and ask them, does anyone have hemorrhoids, constipation, diverticulitis? Has anyone in your community or family had appendicitis? They look at you and say, no, not at all. And that's also true in Africa. In fact, in Africa... When I was interviewing Dr. John Yutkin and Dr. Cleve and Dr. Burkett, and he is, was the discoverer of Burkitt's lymphoma, and at one time in his career, he was the one of the chief medical doctors overseeing a wide variety of hospitals in Eastern Africa. He said he had never seen a heart attack or a stroke or appendicitis or colorectal cancer in anyone, in any of those hospitals, because their diet was so high in fibers, natural roughage, and they didn't overeat. But when these people no longer have access to that food, and that would be true in any community, and they migrate to the cities, you're not going to get it in the cities as easily as you can where you come from. And so they start eating the processed foods, high in sugars, high in in animal products, and high, high in calories. Also, you're going to be more sedentary in the urban areas instead of in the rural areas. People living in rural America are living longer than people living in the cities because they're more outdoors. They have cleaner air. They have uh, a way of working closer to nature. They're not as stressed. Look at India. There's three exceptions, however, that that also are contributing to people being overweight. Brazil, India, and China. What's happening in those three very populated areas? Simple. With more education and more industrialization, and with economies booming anywhere from 4 to 12% over the last... 12 to 15 years, there has been at least 200 million people living in India, probably a little more in China, and about half that in Brazil, who no longer are considered poor and living in the burrios. Instead, they are more affluent, and what they want is what Americans have. Because no matter where I go in the world, They're all looking at America as setting the standards when it comes to the lifestyle they want to emulate. And But what they're not seeing, they're not seeing middle America. They're not seeing the little home I grew up in on Covert Street in Parkersburg, West Virginia. They don't see that. They see the television reality series that have beautiful Park Avenue or Central Park West apartments or large, spacious mansions that overlook uh, Los Angeles. That's what they want. 
They, they don't want to drive a Ford or Chevy. They don't want to drive a truck. They want to drive a Porsche, Lamborghini, Ferrari, Maserati. They don't want normal clothes. They want expensive clothes, even if the expensive clothes are, are not good-looking. It's like art. I never will forget going into the home of a friend of mine, and he had, the at that time, he had the world's largest collection of private master paintings. Today, his collection would probably be worth about $5 billion, just his paintings. He had like seven or eight Picassos. I mean, the, the most expensive Picassos also. And I didn't see one of his paintings that I thought was interesting, that I'd want to put on a wall. Now, since then, the cost of the value of that artwork has skyrocketed. One person purchased one painting for more than $100 million, and now that's even been surpassed. And it's a painting that if you and I looked at it and didn't know that it was a famous painting or was very expensive, you'd never want it on your wall. It's not interesting. And uh, so, but people will pay astronomical amounts just for bragging rights that they own something and how much they paid for it, not whether they ever liked it. The liking of something, its significance to them aesthetically, is irrelevant. It's they could afford it, so they bought it, so that one moment in time when they can have the bragging rights, they own this. Kind of foolish, very insecure, but it's the reality. So now when people look at our life, they're looking at it through the eyes of reality television. They either see everyone being a spoiled brat, uh, very very dim-witted, uh, insecure in the extreme, volatile emotionally, and not nice. You know, one of the things we used to enjoy about pictures made during the 1930s, 40s, 50s, were that they would, the writers always made sure that there was someone that you could root for, someone that you could associate and identify with. Today I see films, and there's no one in the film I'd want. There's a new movie I just watched called Congress, and it's, it's unique. It's creatively uh, brilliant. I have never seen a film like it, ever. And I'm a, really a, a film aficionado. I've written two books on the history of film, which were bestsellers. And so I'm, I'm always going to the movies. But it doesn't mean I enjoy most of those movies. You don't know, and I don't take the critics' comments seriously because I've seen so many things they praised. And I go in and I think, what were they talking about? But I'll just give an example. In this film, it's based upon Robin Wright, the, uh, the actress who was in the uh, Princess Diaries, which is a really f good film. I enjoyed it. You know a film's good when you see it a second or third time and you still enjoy watching it, much like The Godfather or Apocalypse Now or Gone with the Wind or Singing in the Rain. There's some films we can watch uh, numerous times, even though we know every word because we connect with the energy of it, the joy of it, or the, the intensity of it. it. It resonates, it vibrates with us. In other films, you'd want to walk out. Anyhow, this, the film is based upon her, her sagging career, which is true. She had a sagging career. She never had anything that came along. She did some critically acclaimed roles, but not able to open a film. And she was married to Sean Penn, and then that ended a few years ago. So the film is about her selling her rights to a movie studio forever, 
and uh, they can do anything they want with her. And they will keep her perpetually at 34 years of age. Well, now she's in, I'm guessing she's in her 50s, and, uh, and the person who owns the studio is, he is your stereotypical studio hotshot. Arrogant, insensitive, and completely detached from anything except how he can exploit something for his advantage. But she succumbs and she signs away the rights for the next 20 years. So she can't make a movie and she can't act. She can't be doing public appearances. She just has to take the money and go away to an island, right? So the movie with Harvey Keitel uh, shows greed, insecurity, and the fact that so many people who are in films or famous for a day or time are fearful of what happens when the public stops being interested, when they become irrelevant. And we all all know that anyone in the public eye can one day wake up and realize the eye has gone blind. Nobody cares about them. There's someone else taking their place. All of that is a metaphor is in that film. So I thought it was very well done for the first half. The second half is all animation where she wakes up 20 years later or returns 20 years later and her contract is up and they want to renew it. But now they want for her to be her DNA to be taken so they can people can actually consume her and then when they consume her in some tablet or a beverage uh, then everything she represents the person now has in them this is this is the idea of the future that people are so much the fans that they want to completely devour the person want the person to morph into them unique concept absolutely unique concept uh and that, I won't tell you where it goes from there, but, but it's as a creative, original movie, it is. But there was no one in the film I liked. There was no likable person in the film. Everything was self-interested. So I don't think it's going to be that popular. In any case, we, we've, we forget what it is to identify with people. And if people around the world are seeing us and our culture... And all cultural heroes, the, the athletes who slug their wives or, you know, get busted for killing people or uh, are just megalomaniacs, that's not a role model. The, uh, the chefs that want to throw knives at you and demean you and, and, and curse you, that doesn't encourage people to want to learn how to cook food or make food. Always competing, always with drama always negatively, to create fashions. Instead of encouraging people in a positive way, it's all about you got to beat the competition, you're going to be judged by people. And the people judging in all these, the people judging in the reality shows, none of these people are perfect. They're all grossly flawed, and that's the irony. Grossly flawed, flawed people judging others as if they are perfect, and therefore they know you know, uh, how to make someone else feel good or bad about themselves in a the moment. In other words, holding the power over someone to make or break their career. And that's all we're known for when I travel around the world. The excesses of everything. Now they see foods programs that are very popular, including man and food, where a person tries to beat a clock in eating a seven pounds of food. And none of the food is ever healthy. 
It's seven pounds of pancakes or seven pounds of pizza or seven pounds of meat or the hottest of food in the world that could destroy your system. And then all the restaurants around the United States that are popular with young people have supersized portions. And in every time they show one of these towns that this show's filmed in, a different one every week, the most popular restaurant in the town is the one that gives the humongous portions of unhealthy food. I remember once they went into an ice cream store, I believe it was in Philadelphia, and he ate seven pounds of ice cream. You realize that that amount of fat and sugar is enough to destroy your system. And then we wonder why we're overweight. So now if you give a normal portion of food to someone and a healthy normal portion, they don't like it. Their mind says, I don't want that. I want all I can eat. And watch the ads. All you can eat of, what, crudités, all you can eat of shrimp. Where was this shrimp grown? Well, probably in Thailand or China. Do you want to know what they're fed? The shrimp? Do you want to see how un unhealthy that environment is? So the more shrimp you eat, the sicker you're going to become. They don't care. All they care about is food. Feed me. Huh? Now, go to India. And now you've got $70,000 a year income. And you can afford anything. What are you going to eat? Where are you going to live? You're not going to be exercising. You're going to be drinking a lot because you've learned that the happiest people in America are people go to bars and smile at each other and, and drink. And you got to drink, what? Vodka. Because that's what all the celebrities that go out at night drink. And they spend $700 to $1,000 for a bottle of vodka. Well, since you can't taste vodka, what would it matter if you just put water in there? It would, you wouldn't know it. Do you think any of these people, these famous people going to these clubs, drinking, do you think they have any sense of what they're doing? None. People in America don't become famous and then continue their education. Their education stops when they get famous because they just want to indulge. And they have all these retainers, handlers, their people, and uh, their posses who will indulge them. So now around the world they're watching us and they're mimicking us. And now they're eating the sugars and the hamburgers and the hot dogs and the big meats. And they're eating and they're not exercising and they're getting fat. And that's why the rainforests are being deforested because they're stripping out the rainforests in South America to grow soybeans that are genetically engineered to ship to China and India and other places to feed the pork, the chickens, the cows, so people can have what Americans have. Now, of course, if they pull back the curtain a little further, they would see adult diabetes in children, heart disease in children. They'd see aging at age 27, advanced age at 27. They'd see memory loss, dementia, Alzheimer's. They would see 90 million baby boomers and senior citizens who are on a slippery slope out of life with an awful lot of impairments and diseases from the choices they've made. And they don't want to see that, so they keep the curtain closed. So that's one of the reasons that we have nearly 2 billion people worldwide who are overweight. 
plus the people in poor environments frequently do not have access to healthy foods and you never see a really good health food store in a poor area. Instead, you see a lot of fast food places and hence people buy a lot of comfort foods and salty and crunchy and sweet and soft foods. Next up, a new Latrobe University in Australia did a study and found out that drinking too much coffee can cause drug-like hallucinations. Now, this is interesting uh, because caffeine also stimulates hormones and it also adversely affects the brain. It can be an excitotoxin that literally uh, can react so you can vibrate at such a high level that the you kill neurons. Now you just think about a simple, let's say, now they're considering 400 um, milligrams normal. My research on my doctoral thesis on caffeinism showed that above 60 milligrams is toxic. And there are people drinking 500 to 1,000 milligrams of caffeine a day. So now we can see, do the connection. Take a lot of caffeinated beverages. You haven't slept at night. You won't have energy in the morning. And your energy ends up being unable to focus or even hallucinations. Then you're diagnosed of having brain chemical imbalance and put on some anti-anxiety medication. So get off the caffeine. But do get on blueberries. Now, vegans are not going to eat fish. There are other things you can eat. But for those that eat fish, a new study shows that fish and blueberries aid your memory. Quote, scientists have for the first time discovered what effect multiple rather than single foods with anti-inflammatory effects have on a healthy individual. The results of a diet study show that bad cholesterol was reduced by 33%, bad lipids by 14%, blood pressure was dropped, and even markers for blood clots were reduced by 26%, meaning less likely to have a stroke. Quote, the results have exceeded our expectations. I would like to claim that there have been no previous studies with similar effects on healthy subjects. That's according to a professor of food-related nutrition at Lund University and head of the university's anti-diabetic food center. So, for those of you who have problems with memory, berries, blueberries, blackberries, raspberries, cherries, and also things like cinnamon or vinegar or whole grains like barley, all good for you and good for memory. You've heard me mention that mustard is one of the best healing agents you can have. From the Times of India, a new study published shows that mustard has a lot of benefits. Quote, mustard seeds have been around for almost 5,000 years. They're known to have numerous benefits since they're low in calories and high in nutritional value, have lots of antibacterial and antiseptic qualities. There's black mustard, white mustard, and brown Indian mustard, and mustard in powder form. Mustard oil is known to be great for skin, 
because it generates warmth, mustard seeds are rich in nutrients like selenium, known for its high antioxidant effects. Magnesium is in mustard seeds, reducing the severity of asthma attacks and certain symptoms of rheumatoid arthritis lowering blood pressure. Suffer from migraines? Mustard seeds are known to give relief from a number of migraine attacks you get. Mustard seeds are also rich in calcium, manganese, omega-3 fatty acids, iron, zinc, protein, and fiber. For people who suffer from bad appetite, there's something that will really be helpful. Mix a few black mustard seeds with your drink, whatever it may be, and have that about 10 to 15 minutes before a meal. Mustard seeds are excellent for digestion. They increase your metabolism rate. They're also beneficial for menopausal women who have trouble sleeping. All good. And also, this to wrap up this segment of our program from the University of Colorado. Women who are poor experience higher cortisol levels in pregnancy and give birth to infants with elevated levels of the stress hormone, putting them at greater risk of serious disease later in life. That's according to new research from the University of Colorado, Denver. And it was published in the American Journal of Human Biology. So, let us understand that when people are poor and pregnant, they're going to be stressed. The socioeconomic conditions that mothers have when they are poor means they're going to be so stressed that that stress energy will be passed on epigenetically to the developing fetus, putting them at greater risk for a wide variety of conditions. So we should make an effort and have a national Marshall Plan to help the poor. We could de-go it or ghettoize America easily if we had the political will and the spiritual concern for those in need. Right now it's polarized. We have, in effect, balkanized the class structure in the United States, putting the class system with the least amount of interest in in the 100 million Americans who are abjectly poor. And hence, there's no desire or intent to see a change. Somehow, we've been led to believe or taught or conditioned or propagandized to believe that the poor are poor because they're lazy. I've just finished a major film, seven years of research and travel. I just was on the road for three months for the second time in a year, six months, traveling just this year alone. I can tell you, all of the poor that I met, none were lazy, and they all wanted to work. But the various circumstances they found themselves in, more often than not, not of their own uh, conditioning, led to them not being able to work at that time. Forty-four million Americans would like to work, and they can't. So let's stop blaming the poor for being poor and look at what we can do to help them. Back in a moment. Please stay with us. Some small town I never knew 
Nice to have you with us, everyone, broadcasting in more than 166 countries on stations all around the United States. I thank you all for listening and for sharing that information. Continuing with the thought that what it doesn't mean to have a wealth gap in this country, let's hear what a uh, late-night person has to say, John Oliver, on this very topic. do they want? It's, it's a question that's plagued no less an authority than movie star and noted humanitarian Mel Gibson. Uh, not, not to be confused with his far less successful follow-up, why are Jews? But, but for most... For most... But, but for most American women, one thing they might want is to be paid the same as men, and one prominent man currently agrees. Women deserve equal pay for equal work. Equal pay kicked off your presidency. It's become really a theme, one of the themes of of your time here. Well, that's nice. Equal pay is not such a bad theme. It's certainly an improvement over previous presidential themes, including let's lock up all the Japanese and destroy the Seminole Scourge. Uh, Unfortunately, as is so often the case for this president, his laudable goal was muddled right from the outset. Today, the average full-time working woman earns just 77 cents for every dollar a man earns. Equal pay for equal work. It's not that complicated. Yeah, it shouldn't be that complicated. And as long as he hasn't overlooked something which complicates this significantly, everything should still be on track. In 2013, female staffers in the Obama White House were paid less than 88 cents for every dollar paid to male staffers. Well, that's okay. That's okay. Maybe that just means the president was 88% sincere when he talked about equal pay, which, if you round it up, is basically 100% anyway. So why is everyone complaining? And with that, all anyone could focus on was not how to fix this problem, but how to quantify it. The Labor Department itself, the president's own Labor Department, says it's 81 cents. Another federal study, for example, says the disparity is more like 88 cents for every dollar. The studies do show that when you do the controlling, there's about a 9% gap. The wage gap is really somewhere between 5 and 7 cents. Women who do not get married have virtually no wage gap. They earn 96 cents for every dollar a man makes. 
Even if 96 cents is the number, which it isn't, it's still terrible. Let, let me put this in terms that are perhaps easy to understand. If someone takes a dump on my desk, the size of the dump is not the issue. I'm not going to say, well, how big of a dump is it? Eight inches? Ten inches? Oh, just three inches? Well, that's almost like you didn't take a dump on my desk at all. And so this is where we are right now. The one Equal Pay Act in Congress has already been killed and there is seemingly nothing on the horizon. But to listen to some, that's not a problem. Because not only does the gap barely exist, if it does, it's actually women's fault. Women make different choices about what kinds of jobs they seek. Uh, they make different choices in reaction to marriage and childbirth. When those things, those factors are taken into consideration, studies have indicated that the pay gap all but evaporates. Classic. Women are paid less because they choose to have children, although, to be fair, they didn't technically choose to be the sole gender biologically capable of pregnancy, with the notable exception, of course, of seahorses and Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jr. Uh, so that, that just lets be balanced here. Uh, th the second popular argument for why the wage gap is women's fault is that they choose to enter lower-paying professions. When you compare men and women in the same positions and with the same experience, the same uh, education, there there is no pay gap. You need to look at yes, what the what the position is, and and you need to compare apples to apples, not pick and choose. Okay, apples to apples. Okay, well, in which case, I actually have a question for you. How do you like these apples? A recent study out of Yale University um, that is. Uh, interesting where uh, professors were given uh, the identical resume. Uh, one was had the name John on the top and one had the name Jennifer on top. And the uh, male candidate was rated more favorably. Really? And they were offered on average $4,000 more than the female candidate. Okay, okay, so it seems we either address the root of this problem and fight entrenched sexism in our society, or all women simply change their names to John. Uh, sure. It'll be confusing for a while, but you'll have $4,000 extra a year just to take the edge off the confusion. <laughs> and also, don't despair just yet. Because apparently, if women can just hang in there, there is hope. If you're unmarried and childless between the age of 35 and 43, the, the statistics show you make a dollar eight on average uh, to every male dollar. So there you have it, ladies. If you can just remain single, not accidentally have children, and never turn 44, you're gonna be golden. <laughs> Look, here's the thing. Paying people less for the same work is clearly wrong. Even monkeys know that. Scientists actually ran a test where two monkeys performed exactly the same task. One was paid with a grape and the other with just a cucumber. Watch how the monkey who got the cucumber <laughs> reacted when it realised it was underpaid. <laughs> monkey, you don't know what the other monkey's experience and education were. You've just made different choices in your life. Besides, a cucumber is virtually the same as a grape. Now, now, some people are always going to want to pay women less, even if it is, let's say, 83 cents on the dollar. But if we're not going to get legislation, it should at least be obvious who is choosing to do that. So, to that end, we would like to suggest this. Are you a middle-aged man running a financial firm or a multinational conglomerate? Do you find that pushy female employees have been nagging you with unreasonable demands for equal pay? 
What if I told you about a revolutionary new product that lets you pay women just as much as men without sacrificing the sheer convenience of paying them less? Introducing Ladybucks, dollars for female employees that are worth just 83 cents on the dollar. Ladybucks is the new currency for women from the Federal Reserve and the creators of Playtex Gentle Glide 360. Available in a variety of colors and scents, Ladybucks feature America's most celebrated female presidents like Gina Davis, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, and Battlestar Galactica's Laura Rosner, who only became president after almost all of mankind was destroyed. It's an amount that could be described as virtually the same, really just reflective of the different choices women make, and some f***ed up mad men bullshit. So why not try Ladybucks? Show the women in your workplace that they're truly 0.83 in a million. Ladybucks are not for everyone. Consult your lawyer before using Ladybucks. Use of Ladybucks may result in class action lawsuits, adverse publicity, failure to retain staff, or being kicked in the d***. Now, gives you perspective. Just one that uses some humor. I also want to give a perspective on Ferguson. Ferguson's out of the headline now, except for those demonstrations that are occurring to see if the people who were responsible for the problems there are held accountable. Some of those demonstrations have led to arrest. But John Sturt was out of the loop. He was on vacation when all this was happening. So I thought I'd share this with you from John Stewart when he finally returned to give Fox News the takedown America's so desperately wanted. Uh, he helped us process the events in Ferguson, Missouri, by calling out America's police militarization and institutional racism. So Stewart is focusing on racism of the media, namely Fox News, during its coverage of the tragedy. Let's take a listen. Big news of the past few weeks, the town of Ferguson, Missouri, where the shooting by police of teenager Michael Brown has sparked a series of protests, which in turn sparked a, uh, let's say, response by police who <laughs> appear to be auditioning for RoboCop. It's, uh, it's a story that has a lot of people outraged and upset. I came back from vacation because I am furious. Of course you are! <laughs> An unarmed black teenager gunned down in the street by police under suspicious circumstances? Who wouldn't cut their vacation short to register their fury? You'd have to be a monster or in my case, enjoying a particularly nice vacation. <laughs> but good on you, Mr. O'Reilly, for coming back. Unless, of course, you're furious about something else. Furious about how the shooting death of 18-year-old Michael Brown is being reported and how various people are reacting to it. Yes! <laughs> that is the outrage. The shooting of Michael Brown and any lack of transparency from the police department responsible for said incident is outrageous in how it has been reported. <laughs> and I guess that's not the only reason to be angry. Is he going to get a fair shake, this officer? There has been a rush to judgment. Eric Holder flies into Ferguson, yeah. you know, with his, with his, you know, superhero cape. This mantra of the unarmed black teenager shot by a white cop, you know, that description in and of itself actually colors the way in which we look at this story. Yes, describing the actual facts of the case. 
really does color the way we look at it. White cop shoots unarmed black teen does sound terrible. Whereas, say, hero cop kills alien hunting humans for sport would put a completely different spin on things. Which, though a very accurate description of the plot of Predator 2, is in this case... Uh, not what happened. And you know what? There's so many other stories out there. Why aren't we covering New York? Why aren't we Why covering black-on-black black crime? Yes! <laughs> Why all the interest in holding police officers to a higher standard than gangs? <laughs> they both flash colors, and... Yes, one of them has been sworn to protect and defend, but... Still... Well, this weekend, 42 people shot in Chicago. You know, I don't, I don't see the protests. I don't see the anger. If I were African-American, I would be outraged that more journalists aren't covering what's happening in Chicago and more outraged that people like Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson don't head to those areas. Yes. What could explain the lack of outrage about Al Sharpton and his ilk not doing anything about black-on-black violence in Chicago? With Chicago's violence making national headlines, a group led by the Reverend Al Sharpton plans to convene an anti-violence summit of national civil rights leaders here. Oh, that's right, because African-American leaders did hold a summit about that in November. <laughs> and have met at least three times in the city just in the last 13 months. Which is not to say it's been effective, but taken along with the President's My Brother's Keeper initiative, which attempts to address this violence and the countless vigils and marches within these violence-torn communities, means they are trying, actually, to do something. You see, you being ignorant of those attempts doesn't mean the issue itself is being ignored in the same way that when it snows where you live doesn't mean the world isn't getting hotter. Um... <laughs> Oh, you know what? There's something else bothering you, isn't there? When a cop pulls me over, I say, I put my hands outside of the car. If I'm carrying a weapon, which I'm licensed to carry in New York, the first thing I tell the police officer is, officer, I want you to know I have a, a legal firearm in the, in the car. And then I brace myself for the taser. <laughs> Well, without getting into the fact that you get pulled over so much by the cops that sometimes you're carrying a weapon, sometimes you're not. I don't know. It just depends on how I'm feeling that day. But uh, continue. I often would, would even take my, my step out of the car, lift my shirt up so we could see where the gun is. You really do have no idea, do you? You really do. <laughs> basically, basically you're saying... If only Michael Brown, instead of holding his hands over his head, had reached down to his waist and lifted up his shirt to show the gun he did not actually have... This whole tragedy could have been avoided. Do you not understand that life in this country is inherently different for white people and black people? 
a lot of people are trying to make this, Dana, about black and white and trying to make this about race. This is part of this effort to make it everything about race. Is this a story about race? Do we know that? I think it is playing the race card, and I think it's disgraceful. The only racial divide that is created here is being created by the race baiters. You know who talks about race? Racists. Did you just, he who smelt it, dealt it, racism? Did you really? He who smelt it, dealt it, racism? All right. Forget that in Ferguson, 94% of the police are white and 63% of the people are black. Forget that 92% of police searches and 86% of car stops are for black people. Forget that the white municipal government finances nearly a quarter of its annual budget through the fines and penalties disproportionately leveled against the black portion of the population. Forget that the history of this town includes this tasty nugget. A 52-year-old man named Henry Davis said that four Ferguson police officers beat him then charged him with damaging government property because his blood had gotten on the officer's uniforms. So let me get this straight. You guys got tanks, but you can't keep a couple of Tide sticks around? Because here's, here's the problem with everything that's, that's going on in this conversation. This isn't all about just one man killed in one town. It's about how people of color, no matter their socioeconomic standing, face obstacles in this country with surprising grace. Look at, look at how upset you all get about certain things. Tonight, Christmas under attack. Why are we allowing anti Christmas madness. Why do I have to drive around with my kids to look for nativity scenes and be like, oh yeah, kids, look, there's baby Jesus behind the Festivus pole made out of beer cans. It's nuts. Remember? Remember? You were, you were furious that America's 11 month long celebration of Christmas wasn't enough. But now, if you can, just Imagine that instead of having to suffer the indignity of a Festivus pole blocking something you could have just set up in your own yard anyway. Imagine that instead of that, on a pretty consistent basis, you can't get a f***ing cab, even though you're a neurosurgeon, because you're black. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, that every, I guarantee you that, that every person of color in this country has faced an indignity from the ridiculous to the grotesque to the sometimes fatal at some point in their, I'm going to say last couple of hours <laughs> because of their skin color. Quick story. So we live in New York City, a liberal bastion. Recently... <laughs> Let me finish. (laughs) Recently, we sent a correspondent and a producer to a building in this liberal bastion where we were going to tape an interview. The producer, white, dressed in what could only be described as homeless elf attire. (laughs) And a pretty strong five o'clock from the previous week shadow strode confidently into the building, preceding our humble correspondent, a gentleman of color, 
dressed resplendently in a tailored suit. Who do you think was stopped? Let me give you a hint, the black guy. <laughs> and that happens all the time, all of it. Race is there, and it is a constant. You're tired of hearing about it? Imagine how exhausting it is living it. We'll be right back. Some wise words. I'm Gary Knoll. If you've just joined us, I appreciate you tuning in and sharing the information. By the way, we have thousands of articles and uh, on social issues by the leading progressive minds around the world. They're free. They're there as a public service, plus documentaries and uh, calls to action centers where if you're concerned about something, you'll see what you can do to help lend your voice or support, whether it's stopping genetic engineering or labeling the food, whether it's closing down nuclear power plants or stopping a gas hydrofracking, whatever it may be. We have dozens of different, and just visit the website, and it's there. And uh, from what I understand, about 2.5 million people per day are doing that. Now, this is from Christina England from Back Truth. The article is entitled, The CDC, a Truly Corrupt and Dangerous Organization. Let me put this in context. We had on Dr. Brian Hooker last week, and two weeks before that, we were the first radio program in the United States to broadcast the news that a doctor from the CDC, William Thompson, had admitted that the CDC had deliberately withheld crucial evidence providing uh, hard, hard data that the MMR, the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine, caused autism. He was also um, up for communicating with Andrew Wakefield, and Wakefield sent us the communication, the email, where he apologized. And in his apology, he stated that had he brought his information on the MMR vaccine and autism link to Dr. Wakefield in 2004 when Wakefield was being excoriated and attacked, losing his medical license for coming up with similar um, research, then that could have prevented that. It could have exonerated Wakefield. In fact, it does exonerate Wakefield because the very things that Wakefield was saying that in the study of he and these other many doctors researching children at the, um, uh, the um, hospital in England they found a connection between those children that had received the MMR vaccine and autism. And uh, they published an article in The Lancet, the, the British Medical Journal. And then later, the pharmaceutical industry attacked him and with all their resources and destroyed him. So we did an investigative report. We did not even speak with Wakefield until the report was completed. Our independent report found that Dr. Wakefield had done no wrong that all of his statements were accurate, that there had been no illegalities whatsoever. But we did find that the people attacking him were responsible for unethical conduct, if not illegalities. I debated one of his, his primary attacker for one hour on this radio program in a seven-hour special. It took seven hours of all the witnesses and all the experts to show that Dr. Wakefield and his colleagues were accurate and the British government was engaged in a cover-up and intentional character assassination. What Dr. William Thompson's article showed was that Wakefield was correct. 
and hence he has been exonerated. Did any of the mainstream media cover this? No, they couldn't because of the danger that it would destroy their advertising from these pharmaceutical companies. Remember, a pharmaceutical company might produce two or three dozen different drugs, including vaccines. Well, if you produce the MMR vaccine and it's been shown to be linked with autism, what is the likelihood if you, as a 60 Minutes or 2020 or New York Times, attack it, show this, that's going to open it up to class action lawsuits. It will challenge the idea that these corporations should be held non-accountable and indemnified, and that law can be overturned. And the pharmaceutical company, knowing that you might run a special on this, would simply say, you run that special, all of our ads for all of our other drugs, they stop. 100, 150, $200 million worth of advertising? No, they're not going to give that up. That's why you haven't seen it in the United States. So, right at the top of the list of why the CDC is, according to Christina England, and calling them corrupt and dangerous, is the whistleblower announcing that the MMR vaccine causes autism, Dr. William Thompson. And uh, they with it deliberately, the CDC deliberately withheld crucial evidence proving that the MMR vaccine caused autism. And um, we have laid that out repeatedly. This is from, uh, quote, According to Dr. Hooker, the CDC whistleblower informant who wishes to remain anonymous, now he's not anonymous, uh, guided him to evidence that a statistically significant relationship between the age the MMR vaccine was first given and autism incidents in African-American boys was hidden by CDC researchers. After data were gathered on 2,583 children living in Atlanta, Georgia, who were born between 1986-93, the CDC researchers excluded children that did not have a valid state of Georgia birth certificate, reducing the sample size being studied by 41%. Hooker explains that by introducing this arbitrary criteria into the analysis, the cohort size was sharply reduced, eliminating the statistical power of the findings and negating the strong MMR vaccine autism link in African-American boys. Well, this is the letter from Dr. William Thompson, who still works at the CDC, by the way. Um, My name is William Thompson. I'm a senior scientist with the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, where I've worked since 1998. I regret that my co-authors and I omitted statistically significant information in our 2004 article published in the journal Pediatrics. The omitted data suggested that African-American males who received the MMR vaccine before the age of 36 months were at an increased risk of autism. Decisions were made regarding which findings to report after the data were collected, and I believe that the final study protocol was not followed. I want to be absolutely clear that I believe vaccines have saved and continue to save countless lives. I would never suggest that any parent avoid vaccinating children of any race. Vaccines prevent serious disease, and the risk associated with their administration are vastly outweighed by the individual social benefits. My concern has been the decision to omit relevant findings in a particular study for a particular subgroup for a particular vaccine. Well, I would disagree with him on his statement. He is completely wrong, and his argument is specious when he says that vaccines have saved lives. Prove it, Dr. Thompson. I invite you on this program to debate you.
I believe that you have a moral responsibility to go public where you have an opportunity to have people like myself who are very familiar with vaccines. I've written over 34 articles. I've produced three award-winning documentaries on vaccines to come forward and give you an opportunity to say, why have you waited all these years to tell the truth when you knew that Dr. Wakefield and all the parents of autism children could have been impacted differently if you just told the truth since you were one of the senior authors on the study. And why is it you're still at the CDC? I understand they've given you an award and other uh, benefits. What does that tell us? Well, at least this much we do know, that you and the CDC were not forthright, and as a result, think of all the African-American children that have been adversely affected and today may have autism because you all played with the truth. We're coming up to the end of the program. I don't have a chance to finish. I will say this, that another example of the CDC is thimerosal in vaccines, which can cause children to develop ticks. That's a fact. And also the CDC was found responsible for the death of thousands of unborn children. And that's a fact also. It was published in the American Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology. And uh, there was a tremendous 4,251% increase in fetal deaths in pregnant women. And uh, that all was who had been vaccinated. And that was covered up. And also the CDC admitted that polio vaccinations caused polio but promoted them anyway. So, and you were responsible for the Tuskegee experiment. And uh, so some of the reasons why we should be concerned about you. Thank you all for listening. I look forward to sharing more tomorrow. Have a nice day, everyone. You know I can be found Sit home all alone 